Did you know that farmers work less than half time? Which I guess that means less than 20 hours a week. Or less than half the year. And make over a quarter million dollars? Did you know that? I realize here on a Saturday morning, quite a few of you could be out in the field and you're saying, what in the heck are you talking about, Dylan? Welcome back to the Farming Show. Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. Yeah, I'd say particularly at this time of year. Well, this month, you know, there's been a lot of corn planting and grass and a lot of that around here in Whatcom County. A lot of other stuff on the east side. Pretty soon it's going to be cherries and it's going to be raspberries here and blueberries. And and not too long after that, it'll be corn and potatoes and so many other things across the state. Who's working less than... 60 hours a week for the coming months in farming. But this is apparently what some people in Olympia think about farming, the state of farming in Washington, that farmers are making bank and they're working less than half of the year or less than 20 hours. I don't know exactly what it is. This has been uncovered uh, in some documents down in Olympia. This was as they were talking about capital gains taxes which is an income tax not an excise tax but you know there are lawsuits that will i I feel confident bear that out in court joining me right now with the washington policy center pam lewison pam how is it that they're saying that farmers are making a quarter million dollars or more and working less than half time and how does that, at the same time, jive with the big outcry over people on farms working too much and needing overtime? This is just a bizarre, bizarre um, chain of baloney rhetoric, if you ask me. Well, I think most of us in farm country would agree with you. Um, <laughs> are, are you tired yet this time of year? Oh gosh! You're a far. I I should have introduced you as a farmer and uh, (laughs) policy expert, uh, because you probably this time of year feel more like a farmer than anything. I do. I I feel like I've been awake since mid March. So, um, (laughs) I uh, I think the I think the problem with this kind of talking point is that it's really misleading. You know, I I this idea was sort of proposed language. Uh, to counteract an amendment to um, exempt the sale of livestock from uh, from the capital gains income tax. And that amendment did actually make it into the final signed version of that. So th- this was tax. the politicians talking, emailing, whatever it was amongst themselves about, okay, well, this is how we're going to spin this. This is the, right. these are our talking points. Am I characterizing that correctly? Who was it that yes. said this or what, what, what do we know about this? Be- <laughs> this bogus idea that farmers are making bank working less than half time. Well, so it's, it was um, passed around between um, several different senators. And I, I think the, you know, the problem that I have as a farmer, and I think um, everyone should have, is that it's just silly. You know, we just spent four months talking about 
the long hours that farmers put in. So long, in fact, that we had to have legislation put in place to govern how we pay people in overtime situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and rhetoric from folks on the left and particularly the, the hardcore labor activist community talking mm-hmm. about how it's dangerous to work over 40 hours a week and people are essentially, um, you know, being treated unfairly and potentially even abused by having to work 50 and 60 hours a week. Some people mm-hmm. even more than that by their right. own choice. Right. And, and on the, you know, on the other side of that coin, having farm workers in testimony say, Hey, we want to work these long hours. These long hours are what pay for, you know, our life and, um, you know, and testifying saying, I am, I'm fully aware that I work 60 hours a week for that 17 or $20 an hour. And I like it that way. Please don't take that from me. So I think the, you know, the the problem um, that anyone like me or any other farmer has when they hear this kind of talk is that you're the person that's getting up with your alarm clock at, you know, four or five or six in the morning, and you are the one putting in those hours until (laughs) who knows when, until the job is done, whether that's, you know, eight o'clock at night, or maybe it's later than that. So to have that sort of really misleading statement put out there is, I mean, first of all, it's just not true. And second of all, it, it, it belittles and demeans what it is that farmers do and for how long, you know, and if you're in Eastern Washington, you work these kinds of hours from essentially mid-March through mid-October. Mm-hmm. Because if there's water on, those are the hours you're working. If there, I can't think of better proof to illustrate this disconnect that we talk so much about between the people ruling this state. I should be saying making decisions for the state, but in in more and more cases, it seems more like their attitude is the, of those ruling this state. Versus those who are actually out producing food and, you know, we could talk about other sectors of our economy and parts of our various communities as well. But of course, this is the farming show. Um, There is such a deep disconnect and this puts it on full display. I agree. I think, um, you know, what it highlights really is that as we get more generationally removed from where our food sources, we are going to have to better communicate how the cycles of farming occur and whether that's crop farming or livestock production i think we ha- we're going to have to show what that looks like in real life and you know for me we are predominantly crop raisers but i do have extended family who raise livestock too and they are in the same kind of long-term, high-pressure, long-hour cycle, especially when you look at um, calving season or birthing mm. season if you don't have cattle. You're you're up every two hours checking on your herd to make sure you don't have cows who are in distress or new calves who are in distress. And you do that for a month, maybe, maybe even longer, six weeks, depending on the size of your herd. 
um, I don't know very many people who can fully function uh, sleeping at two yeah. hour stretches. Yeah. And Perfect. yet livestock producers do it all the time. And yeah, particularly, you know, animal agriculture year round, you've got animals to take care of. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. Uh, mm-hmm. Crop farmers. I, I think about my dad in red raspberries. And by the way, this is the farming show. Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. We're talking with Pam Lewis and she's an Eastern Washington farmer and uh, she is with the Washington Policy Center as well. Uh, director of their initiative on agriculture. Um, I think about my dad here in Wycombe County, red raspberry grower. You know, it has happened to him many, many times over the years. People look at what he does and they see his level of farming activity in the middle of winter mm-hmm. and say, wow, you've got it easy. You know, uh, you're doing all right, you know, on the years where things are good. Of course, they don't say this on the years where things are really tight but wow you're doing good and and you only work for like half the year well not only is he doing more work in the off season than meets the eye but the amount of hours that he puts in during the season and particularly during harvest which is the month of july over here i mean it's it, it more than adds up to the amount of work that that you know, you person that are pointing the finger probably put in an entire year when you add up everything that he's he's doing. So it, it it's a total misunderstanding, like you said, that natural cycle of busy and slow in a lot of cases, and people totally misunderstand that. I, I, I think the, you know, the interesting thing to me about the winter time in particular is um, certainly I think farmers rest and recuperate a little bit more in the winter. And and I I would argue deservedly so. You couldn't survive if you didn't. If you had to keep up that pace year round, you would fall apart. But I think what we need to also recognize is that in the winter time is when you do things like continuing education. You get credits for making sure that your pesticide license is up to date and you are, you're going to conferences. You're, you're probably doing some sort of generational transfer planning. If you have kids that are interested in taking over your farm, you are, you know, you're meeting with your accountant <laughs> to make sure that you're taking care of taxes. You're doing the kind of stuff. I mean, you're talking about this professional development kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that people working quote unquote, a regular job or working in the corporate world are doing in the summertime, going to a golf course, having cocktails and doing professional development. <laughs> Farmers finally get to ch- the chance to do that in the dead of winter and no it's not all uh, golf courses and cocktails right i mean (laughs) you 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 know we talk about ag conferences and um funnily enough my daughter thinks ag conferences are the greatest thing in the world she loves going to them but they are they're in the middle of the winter and yes they're one part social but they are professional development and continuing education and that is work you're, you, yep. It's not, it isn't a vacation. Yep. It is still something that requires you to pay attention, show up, and be mentally engaged in what you're doing. A lot of people get paid to go to those kinds of things outside of the farming world. How many farmers, well, technically they should consider that they are, but they aren't making money at the time. So I feel... <laughs> not only are they not making money, they're paying registration to go. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly right. Pam Lewison with the Washington Policy Center is with us on the Farming Show. So we're, we're talking about this, this little nugget uh, that demonstrates the deep disconnect that Olympia has with real farming here in Washington State, and anywhere for that matter, where we saw, just to recap a little bit here, we saw in some documents... Um, from the on or the battle at the time, uh, within you know recent weeks and months over the capital gains uh, income tax uh, in Olympia, that's now being challenged in court. By the way, uh, we saw as they were battling for that, trying to support it. The, these were some internal talking points uh, that folks pushing that uh, effort were were using uh, relating to some some exemptions or, or requested exemptions at that time for farming, they were saying, well, you know, farmers work less than half time and in some cases are making over a quarter million dollars. We're just pointing out how ludicrous that talking point is. Pam, what is the, the bottom line with what happened with this whole capital gains thing, at least uh, as it affects farming? So I, I, there are two parts that are critical for farmers to understand about the capital gains income tax. The first is that livestock were exempted in the in the final uh, income tax document. Uh, the more critical part is that farmland was not exempted. So despite what you have heard or read in the news, it is really important for farmers to be engaged in the capital gains income tax discussion, uh, particularly with their CPAs and potentially with an attorney. Because Yikes. if you sell any land and that land puts you over the $250,000 threshold for taxation, you are subject to this capital gains income tax. Uh, and when you look at that coupled with uh, bank lending being down approximately 23% this year for farms nationwide, including in Washington state, mm -hmm. uh, I can see a situation where plenty of farms are looking at the one solid continual asset they have, which is their land and trying to figure out how to sell it so they can continue to operate. And that puts you in a financial situation. That's very tricky. It's, can you imagine if you told people, Hey, um, you've got that retirement account there. Yeah. When you take that money out, you're going to have to pay taxes to this same level i mean it, people would go bonkers right mm -hmm. I, I, people are used to their you know roth iras and things like that well in for a lot of farmers this is their their land is their retirement account and then when they actually realize that value because it all happens to come at once versus a retirement account that you pay in over a long time and then you get paid out over it it this is patently unfair in my my perspective. Well, I think, you know, what it does is punish people for not having cash on hand. And farmers notoriously don't have cash on hand. That's not how we operate. That's not the business that we're in. And so when you look at it from that perspective, essentially what it does is salt the wound. So not only are you in a situation where you're needful of of cash to continue to operate, but now to do it, you're going to have to short yourself acres by having to sell your land. 
things. And this all encourages exactly what we don't want. We want farmers to be, quote unquote, land rich. That's what's good for our communities and our environment even to protect farmland. Because if farmers aren't land rich, they don't have value tied up there, then it's going to be something else. But this just all seems to be a, a... difficult for people to wrap their minds around when they haven't been in these kinds of circumstances. Right. And I think what it, you know, ultimately I think what it goes back to is it also reinforces for those of us in the ag community that we, we are, or at least we should be very savvy about the legalities tied to things like, uh, capital gains income taxes, the real estate excise tax, and the graduated rate that's attached to it, the open space designation law, and how that functions if your land is removed from it. Um, All of those things are things that we need to be really well read up about before you have to make these really hard decisions. Because if you're, you know, if you're sort of just kind of familiar with them and you make these decisions in a, a snap or quick manner, mm-hmm. you have the potential to have it come back to bite you where, where you, maybe you get a little bit of operating money out of it, but what you have lost is something that you can't get back. And with the kinds of schedules and hours that you that people work and the kind of pressure that they're under and as tight as things are financially. That's why some people, a lot of folks in the farming community can be prone to making decisions like that when they feel their backs against the wall, they're overtired, they're exhausted and they don't know what's going to happen next. (laughs) It just happens. And it's, uh, but your, your advice is, is spot on. And I hope people are, are paying attention. Um, because it could just make uh, an already difficult situation for farming in this state that much worse. Pam Lewison, uh, she is the director for the Initiative on Agriculture at the Washington Policy Center with us this morning on The Farming Show on KGMI News Talk 790. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for for following all of this. Good luck with the farming uh, out there. I I know you've got a lot of work ahead of you yet, as we've just been talking about, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us here on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. I appreciate it.